Hey, welcome you guys to the table. My name is Matt Moberg. I'm one of the leaders here in this community. We are thrilled that you are with us. Anybody else see that? <laughs> Julie, you for sure did. You're about to buy me a new iPad. I appreciate that. We're in a new series because we're in a new season. This is the Advent season. Advent is a season of anticipation. Advent is a season that asks of us to have a posture of excitement. Something good is coming. Something of God is on its way. And so together, collectively, we are leaning forward and saying, all right, let's do this. What is it that's around the bend? What is it that's coming up next? What is it that we have here? But until we get to that place, we are in this space, which is in the waiting. That's not limited. It's, it's our Advent series name. It's not to, limited to our Advent seasonal experience. Because so much of our lives is in the waiting, right? I was, I was in a conversation last night with a friend. And um, I was kind of laying out for them, it's Advent season. We should probably like reorient ourselves to this reality and pursue new things or at least live with eyes opened up a little bit wider. And I was talking to him about waiting and he goes to me, he goes like, Matt, can you tell me a time in your life when you have not been in some space of waiting? Because it's all the time. You are waiting in the line at Starbucks. You are waiting for the diagnosis from the doctor. You are waiting for a call to come. You are waiting for a partner to ask you out. You are waiting for a pain to leave. You are waiting for the kids to grow up. You are waiting for the kids to finally leave. We are waiting all the time. Waiting is, is it's like if there, life is insisting upon us to always be living in this Advent space where our posture is one of, uh, it's rooted in uncertainty because we don't know what's coming next. But the benevolent posture, the generous posture in this waiting space is to say, it's good, it's a gift, it's of God. That's what Advent asks of us. Easier said than done. The second side of that conversation I had last night with a friend was like, Matt, when is the last time you were not in a space of waiting? I said, I do not know. And he goes, well, here's my issue with the waiting. Because yes, Advent asks of us to live with eyes wide open, eagerly anticipating and expecting the good gift that is of God to come our way. But if I'm going to be honest with you, it's hard to be excited about all that will come when you're living with the reality of the ugly that's already came. It's hard to just be like, I'm going to sprint into the future while you're living with the limp of the past. Why you're living with what they did to you? Why you're living with the last time you opened your heart up and you said, is this the time that's going to be different? Is this the time the story's going to shake out in a new way? Is this the time where every Sunday when I go to church and they say that things are going to be okay, keep a stiff upper lip and everything is going to be up and to the right, is this the time that's actually going to be true? Because I personally am tired. I'm elaborating on what my friend said to me. It was not this dramatic, I promise you, <laughs> just to be clear. But most of us have this experience where when we talk about that Advent posture that we are invited to take on in this particular season, that one that says that the best is still to come, the reality is that we struggle to fully orient ourselves in that way because of the ugly that's already came. We got far too many hits, far too many bruises, picked up far too many scabs and scars to be able to do the full sprint up ahead, wide-eyed, assured that the best is yet to come. Uh, anybody else followed the World Cup? U.S. men's squad. 
So one of the things I noticed in this time, Teach, of uh, whenever the old heads in the room were talking about the USA men's team, second youngest team in the tournament, these guys were like, anything is possible, like dialing up their inner Kevin Garnett, you know, trying to, like, the World Cup is an actual possibility up until yesterday morning at about 10.42 a.m. One of the things the old heads in the rooms would say is they're sizing up these boys who have not had any experience really in any kind of World Cup run is that they're just too young to know any better. They're too young to know any, they don't really, they haven't experienced the pain that us old folk have experienced. These are boys, they don't know that they really have no chance. They're just too young to know any better if somebody inside the room would say, and not once did I hear somebody in the room respond with, does knowing any better actually lead you to a place that is better? With all that you picked up, do you feel like now that you've experienced some loss and no longer you look for a light, do you feel like you've now you've graduated to a place of enlightenment where you have a posture that is reflective of reality? Do you feel like you've evolved behind this optimistic, encouraged, and empowered expectation on what is to come, that now you are soured and you're scarred enough to be able to say, listen, it is what it is. You got your lot in life, you have your narrow perspective on life, you have your gifts, they got you this far, but period after that. Does knowing any better actually leave you to a place that better? I'm being redundant, but I want to drive this point home because I've had it in Literally this past week alone, when I consider the meetings I was in, it's probably come up in different kinds of ways six or seven times. It's hard to say about the future that the best is still to come when you are limping into it from pains in the past. It's hard to enter on day one of Advent with this expectation. We can go through the motions, we can go through the facades, we can do the dance and sing the songs. Oh, come let us adore him. The best is on its way. But if you don't believe it for yourself, what are we doing? See, one of the things the Bible is clear about from start to stop, and Paul really emphasizes it in uh, Romans 4 when he's talking about Father Abraham, who had many sons. He says that ultimately, at the end of the day, what you believe is what you become. Your mindset sets the frame for the experience that you're about to have. So the expectations that you have for your life determine the heights of your experiences. How you see your story unfolding is going to dictate how your story will actually unfold. That's not some like rubbing of the lamp or law of attraction type thing. But if you actually do not believe that when you get out of the bed tomorrow morning, that this actually is the Lord's day and you will rejoice and be glad of it. And it's not just another morning. If you don't actually believe that there is no ceiling on the limits of your story, that the sky is filled with infinite possibilities, that you still have God's calling and purpose on you, if you do not believe that God's hand is upon you, then you will allow all kinds of heaviness to fall upon you. The expectations that you have for your life will set the ceiling upon the experiences that will follow. And so it is imperative when we think about hope and we think about reposturing our lives in this particular direction, we think about a new season filled with eager anticipation that you actually soberly assess your own story and say, am I eagerly anticipating and believing that at the end of the day, I've gone through some things, I've seen some things. People have come, people have gone, pain has been given, pain has left. At the end of the day, I still believe there's more in my story than I've shown thus far. There's this moment where the prophet Isaiah is, is kind of this classic text that we read all the time at Advent, 
But it's this moment where they're in exile and the people have gone through some things. They've been through the fire. They all smell like smoke. The whole societal reality that they've grown up in and grown familiar with, it has come to complete collapse. The Assyrians, Babylonians, everybody that was against them finally ran over them. And they're living in the ashes of it all. In the prophet Isaiah, he comes in and he speaks to these people. These people who the children of Israel have always identified themselves symbolically as like the olive tree. Well-rooted, bearing good fruits, sturdy and strong. These people who have said like the winds of change, the winds of life, everything that comes at us, it's going to blow, it's going to hit, it's going to harm, it's going to bruise, but we still stand. This tree does not break. Isaiah comes in, not with a pep talk in hand, and says, well, actually, you're not quite the tree that you once were. Let's just be honest and say that right now, you're a stump. Everything that we once were, everything that we knew up until this point, it was beautiful, it was good, it was worthy of our praise. But at this point right now, when we survey the scene and we see where we are and we place ourselves inside of God's story, we're not quite the tree that we once were. We're a stump. It is what it is. The worst did happen. The bad did come. The money did run out. The people did stab you in the back. The hope that you had did fall apart. The plans that you held, they are scattered on the floor. The script for your story, it is no more. You once were a tree, but now you're a stump. Everybody knows this already that's in that land, that's in that exile moment. He's saying, let's not lie about it. We're not being irrational idealists. But we're also not going to be cynics. We're not also going to live in this like protective layer of despair where everything is evil so I'll never open up my heart again. Isaiah, the prophet, the one who sees beyond the things that we are capable of seeing, he says like, yes, not a tree, definitely a stump. But you guys, if you look in that far right corner, there's a shoot shooting through. There is something springing up in the midst of despair. There is something coming to life in the midst of desolation. But then it says, where is that thing, Isaiah? It says, from his roots. The posture that Advent invites us all into. Isaiah, you cannot see what is happening in the roots. You can't see what's happening beneath the dirt. You have no idea what is actually unfolding in your midst. But you see something that can't be seen. Faith is not like this fixation on the outcome. Faith is rooting yourselves in an outlook. It's saying that, yes, things are stumpy right now. I got stumps all over my story. Stumps is the, the embodiment of a tree that came to a stop. It is a hope that was deferred. It was the collapse of what I thought would be. But Isaiah says there are things that you can see that you can't quite see that I'm asking you to base your life upon. I'm asking you to reinterpret the stump in your story to see that there's a new life coming forth. What an impossible ask and beautiful ask that is. What if this Advent season, we collectively as a people decided to look at each and every one of those stumps in our stories, those places where it looked like dead ends and stops. And we said in that far right corner where most people can't see, there's a shoot shooting through. There is new possibilities. There are new reasons to get out of bed tomorrow. 
I'm, I'm going to jump to something really quick because it was on my mind this morning after I left a breakfast and we were talking about this very thing. Um, there's this text, Joseph, the wonder boy with the Technicolor coat, Don, Donny Osmond, I believe, was the character. There's this moment where after he gets sold into slavery by his brothers and he's sent far away and he goes into prison and he's the cupbearer and he's the dream interpreter and he's all these things and he gets to the top rung of the ladder and he's on the top of the hierarchy when it comes to the greatest empire in the world, Egypt. He's sitting up there and the long roundaway about way that the story unfolds is that his brothers who sold him into slavery, his brothers who pushed him into the pit, they end up coming to Joseph as he's sitting as like the, the prince of Egypt, as Disney tells us. He's the prince of Egypt, and they're saying, can you help us? Like, we'd love to stay alive. We need some food. We need some grain. We need some help. Could you help us? We don't know who you are. And he says, actually, you do. Because it was your hands that pushed me on my back when I went into that pit and sold me into slavery. But he has this moment that for whatever reason jumped out to me this morning. I'm going to try to interpret it on the spot. But it, Joseph says to his brothers, Come close to me right now. Joseph at this point, context-wise, has said everybody that's with him, his assistants and his aides, he sends them out of the room. He says, let me be alone with my boys. They don't know that they're my boys, but they're about to find out. Come close to me right now. I'm tired of dealing with this pain, this problem, this hurdle and this hindrance from a distance. Come close to me right now. Give me a front row view with no distractions in place of the thing that hurt me the most. The impetus behind the limp that I walk with. The reason why I'm scared to get close to anybody else, come close to me right now. His brother's obliged, and Joseph, he comes clean, he says, I'm he. I'm your brother, Joseph, the one that you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves. You have certainly have grounds to do so, but do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Did you catch that contradiction right there? Joseph, in the presence of his greatest pain, he says, you sold me. God sent me. You did the most despicable thing one could conjure up doing. You got a little bit jealous when, when daddy started casting his eyes upon me and started singing my praises and was talking about me at dinner all the time. You pushed me into the pits for a few, like, coins. You gave my entire life away. I was in prison for years. I saw the worst of it all. I was discarded, dismissed, neglected, forgotten about. You don't even remember me. You sold me. But I'm standing in your presence right now, and I'm going to choose to see it as God sending me. This is not a belittling or a minimizing of the pain that you have experienced. This is not God dictating and saying, I'm going to put this kind of pain in your life. I do not believe that is true. But if there are going to be crosses that are filling up the earth, then God is going to always be that force that insists upon resurrection, saying the cross cannot be the period that it insists upon being. We're going to bend that thing into a comma. And so from my vantage point right now, when I actually have the audacity and the courage and conviction to look at the thing that hampers me most, I'm going to say, yes, it's true. They sold me. But if I live as a victim for the remainder of my days, I'm not going to live into the Advent spirit that I'm called to take on. Every sign of health, every sign of cure, every sign of promise is going to be deemed to me to be a threat because I have enshrined myself as a victim. I won't do that. You sold me. That's true. But for the sake of my own future and my own story, 
I'm going to take what you sold me as and I'm going to see it as God sending me forward. Do you see the power in that? Your experience is going to be dictated by the heights of your expectations. I'm going to choose to see the things that came at me, not from God, but God can be in this as well. The Advent spirit, as we set on day one and we look out on the month ahead, it invites us to elevate our expectations for the sake of the betterment of our own experiences. We are not called to live small. Each and every one of you are called to live into the full potential that God has placed upon you. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. May we have the courage to believe that that is true. Not just tonight in this moment, but also tomorrow when we get up again. And Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, pray with me. God, we look at our lives and there was a time where we believed ourselves to be trees. But we got, something came at us that cut us down to stumps. Full stop. We walk with a limp. There was pain that hijacked the purpose that we set out with and for. And so, God, we are asking you to give us the eyes, Lord, to see our stories filled and pregnant with new possibilities, to see what was as being what it is. But it's not all that it is, God. There are new shoots shooting through in the corner. Give us the courage to trust that the twig that we see sprouting up has more weight than the stump that is taking over. Christ, you are good. Christ, we are grateful. In Jesus' name, we collectively all pray. Amen. I love that idea of what are we rooted in in this season of waiting, in this season of Advent. And I'll tell you what a reminder of hope is seeing the parents today during the baptism, making sure that their children are rooted in God's love. I mean, if that isn't hope, I don't know what is. That's the hope of the world, that we might raise children that know from the get-go that they are beloved children of God. They are rooted in the love of God. And so when we gather on Sunday nights and we take part in this communion together, this breaking of bread, we're not waiting, we're being. We're being in the moment where we claim our belovedness, where we claim the call to live to our potential to move beyond whatever we could ever hope or imagine, but to trust in a God that sat with his disciples at a meal the night before he died. A God who broke bread and said, this is my body broken for you. That's how much I love you. And he took the cup and he poured wine into the cup and he said, and this is my blood shed for you. The new covenant. And when you eat this bread and you drink from this cup, remember the call in your life. Remember your own belovedness. Sit in the season in that. And let's hope. Let's hope together. During the music, we invite you to come up. There'll be two people up here, one with bread and one with the cup. And you're welcome to take that bread and dip it into the cup. And if you're not comfortable doing that, we do have over here in a basket the individual cups that you can take and bring back to your seat. So please stand as together we pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, 
thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let me close with this quick story. Um, I was in Arizona this past week with the family. Um, and, and one of the mornings I got up early, I went to this AA meeting. And at the AA meeting, contrary to like our most of our experiences here in AA communities where it's 10 to 15 people, there's about 60 people at this one. And um, we went around the room, we talked about humility, we talked about lived experience, we talked about what it looks like to hold hope in the midst of breakdowns, what it looks like to look forward to tomorrow. Went around the room, a lot of good stories, a lot of good wisdom being passed back and forth. There was one man in particular, he said, I have a twin brother, he is typically here, but he's not here today because he's in the hospital. He's in the same bed that my dad was in 15 years ago, struggling in the same kind of addiction that my dad had 15 years ago. And he tells this room of strangers, 60 of us strong, I don't know how it's gonna shake out. This time might be the last time that my brother is gonna be here. This is the end of the story. And as he's telling us this and sharing his pain, he says, I want you to understand, I guess maybe the reason why I'm telling you right now is because I want you to understand why I'm white knuckling this seat in this AA room. Because I see what could be. I see how my situation would dictate me to live in a small way where I too am gonna die in a few more years. I refuse for that to be the case. My interpretation of my situation is far more important than the situation itself. How I see what happened, that's going to dictate how my story is about to go. And so I won't let the story of my family dictate the story of my life. I won't let what had happened be the thing that dictates what will happen. I'm going to see the pain, see the ugly, catch the bruises that our family will catch, and I'm going to choose to believe there's a different way that tomorrow could go that there is still a shoot shooting through on that stump that is our family tree. Will you stand as we receive these words from the heart of God and then we go out and we eat? Is it soup we're having? Chili, soup, salad. Love it. Okay, great, super. Friends, close your eyes, hold out your hands, receive these words from the heart of God for you, no matter who you are or what you've done, who you love or what you've lost, where you've gone or the places that you've stayed. Please know that there will always be a seat here for you at the table because you, as is right now, are a beloved child of God. And beloved, you belong. Let's go eat. Amen? Amen. 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 Jam. <laughs>